Welcome to the Career Up Now Socially Distanced Close-Ups Israel Edition. I'm your host, Sophia Falson. Today, we are joined by Rabbi Riskin, who was the founding rabbi at Lincoln Square Synagogue in New York, and then left to make Aliyah and start a community in Efrat, which is now thriving. He established the Center for Jewish Christian Learning and Cooperation, and is the founder and chancellor of Or Torah Stone. Thank you for joining us. Something that I am interested in is, do you remember an answer that Rav Soloveitchik gave in response to a question that you had that really stuck with you throughout the years? Even much more than that. It became the basis of my own halachic philosophy. I asked about all of the differences of opinion in the Talmud. If you open up a page of Talmud, there will be usually 10 different arguments, differences of opinion on every issue. As Judaism developed, and in order to know what Jewish law really is, there is a book called the Shulchan Aruch, or the Set Table, that gives the final view. Because each, there's a discussion about each issue, and we see various, there are various um, aspects of each issue. And there are those who say it's permitted, those who say it's not permitted, and give reasons why. And that's the bulk of the Talmudic literature. The set table, the Shulchan Aruch, just gives the final decision, majority decision of the majority of the rabbis. And I asked Rabbi Soloveitchik, why is it so important to study Talmud with all the views that it's very often rejected? And he gave me a fantastic answer that I've never forgotten. That's crucially important. He cited a Talmudic discussion in the Sechet Eruvin, a difference of opinion between Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai, two great rabbinical academies, and at the conclusion of the discussion of both sides, the Talmud says, Elu ve'elu divrei Elohim chayim. Both views are rooted in the Torah of God. Therefore, both views, when you take it in depth, are correct. But the halacha, the way we, we most people decide in the end, is like the Academy of Hillel. And this is how Rabbi Salvechik explained it. Torah deals with every aspect of life and practical problems that sprout up, marital problems, ethical problems, issues, strong issues. There's no cut and dry significant issue in the world of that. A lot depends upon the one who's questioning. A lot depends upon the circumstances of the question. A lot depends upon the era in which the question is asked and how the, the era has to control, to a certain extent, the response. For example, a question about women and studying Talmud on the highest of levels. Most rabbis felt that women do not have to study Talmud on the highest of levels. There's one clear view that a woman has the same obligation to study Talmud as a man and to reach highest level. Rabbi would explain it very simply. In the time of the Talmudic discussion originally, women were not educated. They couldn't be expected to be educated in the minutia of Jewish law. So therefore, they didn't study in great depth Jewish law. In our days, it's very different. Women are educated no less than men. Physics, biology, literature, language, psychology. There's no question that nowadays women do have to, can reach the highest levels of study. And the very term halacha means progression. Now our Torah is 3,500 years old and it's still exceedingly relevant. 
and it's relevant because of the difference of opinion, because every opinion is correct from a certain perspective, and it gives a certain amount of open area for the person who's giving the halachic decision, because the time in which you live and this particular situation of the questioner that's very, very critical in terms of the answer. But it's not as if when there is a difference in the, in the Talmud, one person is right and one person is wrong. All the views are right, an aspect of the right. And it's up to the sizer to try to figure out in this particular case what would be the best response. And in general, the Talmud says in Erevin, these and those are the words of the living God. And the law is like the Academy of Hillel, all things being equal. Because Hillel was kinder, easier, no chinheng. And the law, especially the oral law, is called the law of softness and beauty, God's love. So therefore, all things being equal, we go in accordance with the easier position. However, it's important when there are two arguments to understand each one. You realize that it's not necessarily the case that one is absolutely right, the other is absolutely wrong. The truth is an amalgam of all the opinions. And then in each situation, you have to come to the conclusion as to what would make best sense, the time you live and the individual who's asking the question. So that was, for me, critical insight, development of Jewish law, how important it is, at the end of the day, to make certain that Jewish law is an expression of God's love and loving kindness. Wow, that's a really powerful answer, and something that Jews joke a lot about, that every Jew has a different opinion, but they're all right. That's exactly correct. <laughs> I wish America would understand that today. You and me both. <laughs> So to, to transition into talking about Zalman, I know you and him had a close relationship. What did you take away from the relationship you had with him? Let me explain to you or tell you my first meeting with him. And uh, when I first met him, I was exposed to him. I've got to tell you, he was an amazing, amazing human. I loved him very much. I felt that he loved me very much. He was a very unique human human being, see? And he taught me a great deal, which you also soon see. When Lincoln Square Synagogue began in an apartment, the most important part was not so much the Sabbath services as the classes during the week. And the classes grew and the shul grew. And after a while, on Wednesday evening, there were like five, six hundred people coming to the lecture. And each year I would use a different topic. Once, for example, it was uh, sexual ethics in Judaism, things that I thought people who were not necessarily invested in Judaism might find interesting. And as I said, the classes were very, very popular. One particular Wednesday evening, Wednesday evening I would give first Bible class that was smaller, and then the philosophy or theology class, which was much larger. And this individual walks into the class. I'd never seen him before. He was dressed differently than everybody else. Everybody came with a three, three, you know, a three-piece or at least a two-piece tie. He was wearing just slacks and a gulf. In Hebrew, it's a, a, a turtleneck sweater. I didn't realize it was very chic and it was different than everybody else. So it made him stand out a little bit. But I noticed him right away because he seemed to be concentrating tremendously and really, really very deeply. 
gave the class, he jumped up, and he said, hey, Rabbi, I like your style. Let's say Kaddish now, because I have to say Kaddish for my father. So I said to him, fine, we, you can say Kaddish certainly. It was the evening prayer time. After the lecture, the lecturers said that hundreds of people, about 70 or 80 would stay for the evening prayer service. So I said, please stay for the service. Then at the end of it, you'll say Kaddish. We went upstairs to the synagogue, because the class was really in like an auditorium room pray the evening service. And Zalman didn't really find his way in the center. I had to help him. He wasn't the usual synagogue goer, to say the least. But he apparently had learned Kaddish. The Kaddish came out of him like water. Again, he says, Rabbi, I told you, I like your style. Too bad I can't become a member of the synagogue. So I said to him, first I asked him his name. So he told me, Mr. Bernstein. Okay, Mr. Bernstein. <laughs> Why do you think we won't take you? We'll take even you. He said to me, no, you won't. I've been married to a Christian woman for 25 years. So then I realized this is a good question, an important question. <laughs> and in our bylaws of the synagogue, which I wrote actually, one of the laws was that uh, we wouldn't take any couple, intermarried couple as members of the synagogue. So I said to him, let's come into my office and let's discuss it. Because, you know, he was talking in front of the 70, 80 people. And I felt this would be more personal kind of discussion. He says, no, 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 Rabbi. I asked you a question. Will you take me as a member or you won't take me as a member? I want to know now, here, in front of everybody. Oh, my God. Again, I took a very deep breath. I said, Mr. Bernstein, why would someone married to a Christian woman want to belong to an Orthodox synagogue? I thought it was a very good question. That is a good question. So immediately takes the turtleneck sweater, uh, sweater that he lifts it up, and under the sweater were tzitzit, yarba kanfot, the fringes that an Orthodox person wears every day under the talit or over prayer shawl. And he said, they found this on my father's dead body when he had his heart attack. Since then, I've been wearing his, whatever they're called, every day. <laughs> That's why I want to belong to an Orthodox I was very, very much impressed. Felt that the tzitzit, or the Arabakanfo, connection, father, to his past tradition. I felt that here was someone my thought really could, could become a very good member of the shul. So, of course, I said to him, we'll be glad to have you as a member, but it'll have to be a single member. But, of course, you could come to synagogue with your wife, no problem at all, except your separate seating, but you can come with her, pray, and utilize all the synagogue things that it has to offer. However, she cannot be a member as a Gentile woman, but you're welcome to become a member. That was our first meeting. And it was a very important because I saw someone who seemed to be rather gruff on the outside, but who apparently had a very real heart and soul on the inside. He said, he took out a checkbook immediately, publicly, and he said, how much is it? I want to become a member right now. I really want to see if you're going to take my money. Now, I didn't have the slightest idea how much membership and I certainly didn't know what a single member would be. But I took a sum that I thought probably was the amount. I said membership is $150 a year, and the single membership $75. He had tears in his eyes. He gave me the check. And I said one more thing. In addition to the membership funds that will go into the shoe, you have to agree to study with me total one day a week for an hour. Great, he said. Let's start tomorrow. <laughs>
gave me the address of Fifth Avenue office, and I, uh, of course, accepted his membership. The next day we made up the meet, one o'clock in the afternoon. That was the first chapter. Now, I think you also asked for a second part, right? How come he came to give me money forever? <laughs> yes. So, so this, the one thing goes into the, uh, so let me continue our first meeting. I came home, I told my wife, this very interesting person that I met. In the beginning, he seemed rather uncouth, even a little vulgar, perhaps. But I was very much, very, very much enamored of what I believed was his heart and soul. And I'm studying with him tomorrow. The only thing I said to her was that he seemed to be a person who's not really dressed so well. He's wearing a turtleneck sweater. Then my wife explained to me that that's much more chic, much more in style, <laughs> but newer. Anyway, the next day I'm set to meet with him in his office. Very fancy Fifth Avenue office. Now, I don't drive. I'm Guinness. I failed 10 driving <laughs> I don't know much. I got around by bicycle. So we had a one o'clock appointment, lunch. I lived in Lincoln Towers and Lincoln Center. It's uh, maybe a uh, 30 minute, not even a 20 minute ride by bicycle. But there was very heavy traffic around lunchtime that I didn't count on. And I came 20 minutes late. I go up to the 22nd floor. That's where they directed me. All of a sudden, the 22nd floor, everything is green. The elevator door is green. Everything is painted green on the whole floor. I found out later, that's very purposeful. There was a large article in one of the Jewish press newspapers about Zalman. And he mentioned that everything is green in the office because green is the color of money. Everything is green. I walk over to the secretary and I say to her, I'm Rabbi Riskin. I have a meeting with Mr. Bernstein. She said, you had a meeting with Mr. Bernstein 20 minutes ago. You're 20 minutes late. I said, I know, I'm very sorry. It's heavy traffic. But nevertheless, I'm here for the meeting. So she gives me a green phone with a ping. She gets where Zalman was. And I say to Zalman, good afternoon. I'm sorry I'm late. Not enough, he says to me, not enough. I said I like your style, but I don't like people who come late. Time is money. You kept me waiting 20 minutes. I keep you waiting. I smiled to myself. I said, Mr. Bernstein, I really mean it. Time is life. That's much more precious than money. It's because you were waiting for me. You started another appointment. I'll be glad to wait for you, even if I'm waiting for you for two hours. But if you're punishing me, I don't have time to be punished. Maybe two feet away, three feet away, a door opens. He was as close to me then as I am to the computer I'm speaking into now. But there was a door in front of us. He comes out and he says, I told you I like this style. And you're trying to teach me about life when you're teaching me the Bible. I understand that. Just don't be late again. I was never late again, I promise you, for meeting with him. <laughs> And then the two of us walk into his very large, luxurious green office with a great big sign on the window, on the wall in green letters, no smoking. He, at the same time, was smoking the biggest, smelliest cigar I ever saw and smelled. So I knew I had to do with the character. So I called him 
the biggest character with character that she knows. So I was aware of the fact that this was a special person. So I smiled to myself and I look at the sign, I point to the sign and I point to his cigar. <laughs> and I said, how can you still be smoking? He says to me, Rabbi, listen to me. In your office, you interpret the sign. In my office, I interpret the sign. No smoking cigarettes. Cigars are fine. Puff, puff, puff right into my face. Sit down, of course, from him. Very nice office. Sit down, of course, from him. He says, Rabbi, Rabbi, hey, Rabbi. Yeah, hey, Rabbi, it's lunch time. I got a lunch for me and a lunch for you. And in front of me, there's a packed pack lunch with a glatt kosher sign on it, tuna fish sandwich. And where he's sitting, of course, from me, he takes out a big um, cheeseburger. I had never come close to a cheeseburger in my life. But I figured, okay, listen, you know, he done well. I'm not studying. Now, I, when new people came into the synagogue with potential, I always tried to study with them. And I had a whole, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I started with the creation of the world and then went on to the story of Abraham and so on. So I had two Bibles with me. I gave one to him and one to me. We started studying the creation story and then studying with him. He had fantastic powers of concentration. And as we're learning together, we really were learning together. He asked some very, very good challenging and understood completely, completely the answer. And I was very, very much impressed. When I gave an answer that he particularly liked, he would jump up out of the seat and begin to curse like a drunken sailor. Liked what I said, but that was the way he showed me he liked, expressed himself that he liked. In the meantime, he looked at me. He said, hey, Rabbi, don't you feel good? Your face is as green as my wool. And I never fainted, thank God, in my life. But I felt as if the worlds were converging. And I really felt as if I was faint. And I said to him, I'll tell you the truth, Mr. Bernstein. The whole picture of the two of us studying Torah with our Bible and the difficult smell of your cigar and the fragrance of the cheeseburger, which is not kosher, and the vocabulary that you're using simply don't seem to mix together. And I just can't go on like it's very, very hard. He smiled. He immediately put out the cigar, threw away the little bit of the sandwich that he had left. He said to me, okay, Rabbi, we're going to continue learning. I know you mean well, and there are certain things I didn't understand. From now on, every word, bad word that I use, curse word that I use, will be $180 but not to your synagogue and not to any of your school, but pick another charity. Immediately, I felt a bit better. He, he also opened up a window, began to feel a bit better. And I said to him, fine, Chabad, we'll give to Chabad. I had a very good friend who was a rabbi of Chabad. At the end of that session, he got $1,800 from Zalman. He called me up that night and he said to me, Rabbi, just study with this person every day, twice a day, and I have it made. But it worked that that's, that was your grandfather. And I really loved him. And he truly became, he had a great heart and a great soul and a great mind. We studied a great deal together. There are many, many, many more stories. It would keep you and me here all day. He was we'll, have, really we'll have to meet again to 
discuss. I, I want to hear more, more about him. It'll be a pleasure. Well, thank you so much again. This was amazing. This was truly Bashara because I didn't ask you any questions about Zalman the first time. And this was a real treat. So thank you. You're very welcome. And I'll be glad for another round. <laughs> Maybe uh, in Israel. In Israel next that's time. The best place. That's the best place. I'm sitting down in the garden by my home in Israel. To me, it's the most beautiful place in the world. I have a lot of cute stories for you. So we're waiting for you.